0: All right, let's kick this thing off, you accursed. I'm David Hurley with your goddamn gorgeous political panel here today. We've got Jordan Leichnitz, Scott Reed is here, and Corey Tonight, coming to us live from Las Vegas, baby. Hey Corey, how was the sphere?
1: Uh quasi religious experience. It was so good. Like the best concert I've ever been to. And uh I posted a couple of pictures and videos, but it's like, like videotaping fireworks. It does not do it justice. It's like a completely immersive experience. Like nothing I've ever been to. So how
0: much of the, how much of the, the impact that religious experience is U2 and how much of it is the
1: sphere? Um, I would say pretty equal measures. Like U2 is, I think one of the best live bands ever. And, uh, um and they played all the bangers or well almost all the bangers no sunday bloody sunday and uh red hill mining town's my favorite song i didn't play that either uh but uh Uh. no but uh but like basically everything they're playing all of octone baby aren't they yeah they do they do the entire album yeah Mm. Um yeah like look uh they've got game you know they had a new drummer i don't know what's going on there uh but um yeah but like Bonus got chops. Got, Edge's got chops. Like they're un- unbelievable.
2: I can forgive so the tax evasion, but I'm not sure I could have forgive the No Bloody Sunday.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, when I saw them at the Skydome last time, uh, they were playing on waving Palestinian flags uh, on the big screen. So it's <laughs> a, little bit, a little more controversial.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so are you prepared to formally withdraw? The snide, snotty, persistent comments from the Stephen Harper political machine that were directed toward Paul Martin for having met with Bono over the years on a variety of occasions. Bono appearing at Paul's leadership convention because <laughs> I know I had to put up with it for twenty fucking years. He's like going, "Oh, we're not, we're not, we're not so well, preoccupied with the yeah, rock stars. We're just trying to govern the country effectively."
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, That's some uh, deep bitterness. I, I, that is some deep, deep it's, bitterness. It's, it's it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious. All right, all right, all right. Since you asked her, I'll tell a Bono story. It's jealousy. It's jealousy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> did Bono sing Beautiful Day to you, personally, no. in the stairwell?
1: Yes. Not to you yeah, either. That was, the, that was a close... It, well, clo- oh, no, well, it, it was a close... Oh, no. It's a controversial thing in, song in Prague like when
3: we up. first met Bono. Not that I want to mention, drop names or anything as though... We've met Bono. Um, but when we met him for the first... <clears throat> let me see. Yes, the first time we met Bono um, in Prague, we couldn't uh, catch an elevator, and so we uh, burst into the stairwell, and uh, he said, let's take the stairs, and he started bounding up the stairs, and he started singing Beautiful Day. And when we got to the top of the stairs, he entered into the office, and Ruth Thorkelson grabbed me by the lapels and said, Bono fucking sang Beautiful Day to me. To us, yeah. I was here too. She goes, No, no. Bono fucking saying beautiful day to me. To yeah. me. <laughs> it's
2: important to get your job satisfaction where you can in this line of work.
1: Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. That was- well, uh, I have to do a a disclosure warning. This is my third day in Vegas and it's nine in the morning here. So do not expect a, a game performance. I'm just warning you up front. <laughs> All right. Well, listen either bring out the tiger or we've got to move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got a tiger back well, there somewhere? No, no, I wasn't going to hop out of a trunk naked either. But uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Are the tigers, Thank Are you. The tigers yeah.
1: gone? You might not,
0: you might yeah. not know it <clears throat> from this banter, but we have a packed agenda today. Big weekend in Ontario politics, everybody. Liberals have a new leader. Ford's polling above 40% again. Kitchener by-election. We'll dive into all of that. Our cursed clipping is from David Thurton at cbc.ca. Sounds like a framework for an oil and gas emissions cap is about to drop. Gilbo says he'll announce it before COP28 wraps up. What's going to happen in Canada after that happens? And then we'll go around the political horn federally. Anti-replacement worker legislation. Pierre Polyev's stunning long-form housing video and his even better polling numbers. And after that, it's Gordon Pinson calling from the cosmos for our Hey Use Scott, Corey, Jordan... You ready to get going? Yep. Do yeah. it. Do it? Okay. So, Ontario politics. So many different signals. The polls show the PC's well in the lead. But a new poll today says Ford's not very popular. Uh, one of the least popular premiers in the country. Liberals have a new leader, but on the verge of the convention, they finished fourth in a by-election in Kitchener, of all places. The NDP expected to win that by-election, but they didn't, and they look stalled in public opinion. Jordan, how's all this going to shake out?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I actually was thinking about all of these summed up over the weekend, and I'm not sure it actually moves things much when you add them all together. I think... You know, obviously, uh, the Kitchener Center by-election, that wasn't the result the NDP wanted. You know, typical by-election was like really low turnout, 27%, which I should point out was higher than the turnout that the Liberals had for their leadership race. Um, Well, the Liberals
0: decided to have a 2023 uh, voting system. Uh, sorry selection system with a nineteen fifties voting system like what the fuck is well, I one hope we're, get, in-person we're gonna get into that a little riding. bit more because anyway. i have
2: questions i have mm. questions my friends <laughs> um, but yeah so for Kitchener center i think what it really lindo's long departure really did not help the ndp there um, and that wasn't you know obviously this was like not a good result for them i think you know the fact that it's the greens it's a by-election it's not terribly unusual for voters to send a bit of a long shot Uh, And they certainly did that. But yeah, liberals coming in fourth at eight percent. That's brutal. Crombie made multiple visits to Kitchener Center, and that was still the result. I think that that's definitely something to be worried about for them there. And as for the um, as for her liberal leadership win, uh, I think it was much closer than I expected it to be. I'd be interested in everybody else's take there. I don't think it was really a promising or resounding victory for her coming out of that. The turnout is was brutal. Um, so I hope we can deep dive into the reasons behind that, because for all the hype about a competitive leadership race to only have 23 percent of your your folks turnout in one member, one vote is astonishing. And. Um, you know, I think that as many liberals within the Ontario Liberal Party warned, lots of new Democrats are pretty happy today with Crombie's win. There's a risk there, of course, that because she's backed by the same developer dollars that Ford is, that that's just going to drive centre-left voters to the NDP. So I think what I'm hearing, people are generally quite happy with Crombie's win. And I was interested to see actually that the Ontario NDP, who I think we can safely say has not like had the best fall of life, um, did manage to get it together to have an attack website out on Crombie in a timely fashion which is uh which is an important muscle to flex so i was happy to see them flex that and that's meetbonnie.ca if anyone wants to check it out um yeah so overall you know i'll be interested to see what everybody else has to say about the turnout on the liberal leadership race but i'm not actually sure that much changed this weekend
0: great you may not have been glued to the TVO live stream or the YouTube live stream. Uh, in fact, I hope you did not spend Saturday afternoon in Vegas doing that, but do you have any
1: thoughts on where we're at in Ontario politics right now? I was spending Saturday afternoon flying to Vegas. So I didn't, I wasn't watching anything other than a movie <laughs> on my, on the flight. <laughs>
0: um,
1: look, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll echo some of what, uh, what Jordan just said, like, um, and I'll, I'll make one other observation as well. Um, You know, going out and and saying for the week in advance, you know, possible first ballot win is the dumbest fucking spin I've ever heard in the world. Like, why would you do that? Like, where is the strategy and the objective and and spinning that other than sort of, you know, catharsis about how you want the race to turn out? uh, You know, like I, I don't get doing that, but... Uh, that's sort of an aside, not not ultimately important, but I think for the leadership group, it you know it's a, it's a tell of some questionable uh, comm strategy. Um, I, you know, uh, probably more impactful is uh, is uh, is the Green win in KW. Um, the only thing that I like more than two parties, uh, progressive parties on the left, uh, uh, is is Tab Three, and if you could have four, I would like that even more. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, yes, the developer stuff will be muted as a result of, uh, Bonnie's relationships with all those people. It's so uh, harder to make those attacks, uh, convincingly because you're opening yourself up to, to the same. Uh, and, uh, uh look forward basically where he was at election day and yes, personal popularity numbers, but you know, uh, I worked for Stephen Harper for a long time. Uh, what I'll say is, uh, is, is personal popularity numbers, uh, are, you know, not a deciding factor in many cases in terms of how you do at the polls. You know, it's, uh, you don't have to be loved, uh, in order to be successful. Scott, our two
0: friends are spitting us. Our two friends are spinning us because the Liberals elected a high-profile, moderate woman to lead the party, and they are unquestionably a stronger force now than they've been at any point since probably 2017.
3: That's correct. That's exactly correct. All of that is correct. And all this stuff about, well, you know, voter turnout wasn't high and all that. And Corey's not incorrect with respect to, um, unwise to spin first ballot victory. But why was it so close in the end? Because these fucking stupid proportional, uh, multi, you know, <laughs> rank ballot fucking systems, they create that dynamic, you know? And, and so it's almost inevitable, which is, again is why her team should have said, you know what? It might take us 30 ballots to win a four person race. Who knows? What? You're like, whatever, right? It, but she's a leader. That's that. And now you've got a 905 mayor who's been elected federally and municipally, uh, who's telegenic and who can, uh, can make the party competitor. Doesn't mean she will. She doesn't guarantee anything, but obviously she she improves the party's fortunes instantly. And so I, you know, I look at it and I do think, um, that's the most important thing about, uh, all of this. Um, and I think a couple of things need to happen. I think that Bonnie needs to improve her personal performance. I think that's really, really, really important. I think overlooked in this race, people voted on resume. They, they, they voted on what she is, what she represents, this 905 mayor, this person who has a winnability factor, her telegenic appeal, all of that, all of which I like. She's going to have to get better, um, because I don't think that this—I um, don't think that this leadership race made her as good a communicator as she needs to be. I think there's some bad habits. I think that's got to get fixed. But you know what? If she's serious, then she'll fix those things. I think the most interesting question in the relatively near term about Ontario politics is whether—and—and and I'm this kind of puts you in a weird spot, Corey. And I—I I don't mean to. I'm sorry, but uh, so I don't know how. Maybe it's inadvertent. He
0: signals it in advance, but it's inadvertent.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Yeah. It's, oh, whoops. Oh. Um, the puck go over the boards? I didn't mean to fire it at you with all the force I could muster. <laughs> no, but I'm just, I am like, I think it's an interesting strategic question for for the provincial conservatives, which in this instance practically means Corey, to decide whether or not to hammer Bonnie with a multi-million dollar negative campaign really go after with paid media, define her right out of the blocks and try to cripple her before she can even start walking. And the reason I think that's interesting is that seems to me to be the obvious thing to do, but it could have some downsides. I mean, in the sense that it elevates her profile, it does designate... I mean, the thing that the Conservatives had going for them, and Corey was hinting at this, is that you got a twenty-four twenty-four phenomenon. And presumably, you would love to preserve that as long as possible. You want that vote split evenly between uh, the Liberals and the NDP. But if you really in the process of trying to take the, take the wood to her. If you, if you, you, there's a chance you'll elevate her there's a chance that you will distinguish her as, as the sole opponent. And does that have implications and could that have negative consequences? So I'll be watching for that, but I'll be watching to see whether or not Bonnie, you know, um, Bonnie improves, uh, her fortunes. I think the, I think the by-election, I think it was a disaster for the NDP. I mean, it was bad for everybody. But I think, by and large, the NDP need to win that um, more more than more than the Liberals need to get eight percent when they don't have a leader and all that kind of stuff. I think the NDP need to win that or be a lot more competitive than they were. I think that's a bad sign for them. I'd be bothered if I was camp NDP. I don't think it's been a good uh, last week in politics for them.
0: Well, but there's the you, you could put the polls and the by election results together, folks. I mean, listen, if the polls are showing forty two percent for the conser- for the PCs and 24% for the other two parties. There's no wind in those other sales parties, and there's no strong anger um, at the government that, I mean, to me, that's that's the signal of that by-election is, you know, lib- the Liberals and the NDP don't have a lot of wind in their sales, and the Conservatives don't have a lot of anger about them. Although I am curious, Corey, do you have a theory on what the difference is
1: between Ford's numbers and the PC numbers? Well, it depends where in the province you are. Um, I, th- I think the most important thing about Ford politically, uh, in terms of his popularity and and all of that, is about uh, his numbers in Etobicoke, North York, and Scarborough. Like he's uh, probably the only conservative candidate uh, that I can I can recall the polls so well inside the four one six with mm-hmm, those folks mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh you know mm-hmm. and it mirrors where the popularity of his brother was when he ran for mayor yeah. um and uh and and it's it's deep and it's hard to it's hard to chip away at or penetrate because it's, it's so based in personal lived experience by a lot of those voters like uh, you know, the stories of, uh, you know, Rob Ford sitting in somebody's uh, living room until somebody came over to fix the plumbing in their social housing unit. Like those stories are everywhere. And, um, uh, you know, like that na- kind of name recognition. Are we talking about why of- his numbers are up?
3: Because I thought the question was about why his numbers are down.
1: Uh, feels like I'm spin par- a bit,
3: Corey. That's all I'm yeah, saying. I- it feels a little spinny. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I don't think it's spinny. I don't think it's spinny because like, I, I think that's, you know, if you want to talk about like where, uh, you know, what's different about uh, Doug Ford versus other conservatives that I've worked with in the past, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, name recognition and personal popularity within the 416. Like that's, that's what's very difficult, I think, for conservatives generally to do. Um you know he is not. Uh, you don't have that when you're in the six one three. You don't have that in the five one nine with him, but you do have that in the four one six. And and I I think that's sort of what's different about him as a candidate. Well, now look what's
0: upon us. The calendar has rolled over into December, and that can only mean one thing: sound the online gift certificates and fire up your debit cards, ye old Hurley Burlyites. It's giving season. I said it here exactly 12 months ago. I don't think of giving necessarily as a four-week season. Neither does our presenting sponsor tell us. Giving is a core value with them. It happens 365 days a year and takes thousands of forms. That's the way core values work, eh? They don't take any days off. So I'm going to spend the next few weeks in this space highlighting a few of their giving initiatives. Stay tuned for those. But if you're a pod listener and a TELUS subscriber, and you feel like you want to share in the giving feeling right now, allow me to direct your attention to the TELUS Change for Good program. Change is a pun here. Remember the stuff that used to jangle around in your pocket, died out back in the early aughts? This is the digital version of that. When you sign on to the program, they'll round up your bill to the nearest dollar every month. And then redirect those cents to the TELUS Friendly Future Foundation, an independent, registered charity that believes all youth, regardless of circumstance, deserve an equal opportunity to reach their full potential. The foundation supports over 500 local charities providing health and education programming. Just a few examples, the Children's Aid Foundation of Canada, Drugs-Free Kids Canada, YWCA Canada, Breakfast Club of Canada, Innovations for Learning Canada, and Young Adult Cancer Canada. Over 2 million kids are benefiting in some meaningful way. You can go to telus.com slash changeforgood to learn more, or join the Telus Change for Good program by visiting your MyTelus billing page. It can change a kid's life. See, that's the other side of the pun. But you, smart Hurley Burleyites, knew that already.
2: As I say, yeah. I mean, I take Corey's point on on the regional strengths of of Ford's brand, and I, I think it's probably true. But it's also, fair. you know, the NDP's unquestionably had a had a pretty brutal fall. But but so has Ford. You know, there's a lot of damage to his brand still on the Greenbelt issue. And I think we're still seeing that unfold across the province. And so I'm not terribly surprised to see his numbers dragging down on that. There's not, There hasn't been a strong good news story for him, with the potential, uh, I think, exception of the news in Toronto with Chad last week, to pull him out of that space. So I think that is certainly playing into what happened here. And yeah, I mean, for the NDP, they threw a lot into the by-election. There's no question. But the Greens also... Uh, you know, as a fringe party, they have the luxury of throwing everything into these by elections um, and, and targeted this seat for. But well, what is
0: there? Everything. Year. What well, is there? Well, everything.
2: You know, they're building a little everything. bit of a regional base there. All their everything. All their, <laughs> their, Mike All their cloth
3: bags. I
2: mean, I mean, now that now that Mike Schreier was uh, freed up from not from the job he didn't want with the Ontario Liberals, of course he could spend his time campaigning in Kitchener Centre. Uh, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> even yeah. even he didn't want that that gag
3: <laughs> so what what i want to fear. Fear. I, I wanna, yeah. I wanna hop on this so dude because i all right um I'm, I, it may mean nothing it may be transitory but i have a theory as to what it could be the dip in the dissonance between ford's personal numbers and the party numbers and yeah and and how that could be a problem for ford and the conservatives, and how it could be an opportunity for crombie as a new leader on the scene and and it's a one-word explanation is shawinnegate and, and Shawinigate is a kind of a forgotten political scandal that occurred under Chrétien when he was... It didn't prim- come up in Percy Downs' letter this weekend. No, no. no. Percy seems to be quite... Uh, he's got a little temporary amnesia when it comes to matters of uh, leadership succession. <laughs> um, but... In Shawinnege, in Shawinnege was a little scandal. Nobody cares about it. But, you know, where almost was personally tainted with this, you know, question about shares in a golf course that he owned and blah, blah, blah. And he's calling the president of BDC, trying to get them to loan money to the person who's going to buy his shares. It's just fucking it. it was it was no good. And and it, the conservatives had no success at the time in landing it. Um, But what it did was it knocked some of the shielding off of Kretzian and it hurt his personal numbers first just diminished people's notion. their are uh, unbelievable conviction that he was always about the right thing and always doing the right thing, lowered those numbers, didn't harm the party numbers. Cause kind of like right now in Ontario, you know, both, both parties were splitting the vote on the other side against Chrétien. And so it didn't register that way, but what it did do is it took the gloss off of his personal numbers. It took the gloss off of his shielding so that the next time, there was a problem. When the next arrow flew, which as we know was named sponsorship, it not only pierced the shielding, it went right through into the heart. And I think, you know, I look at the MZOs, I look at these other kinds of development, things that are coming down the pike. I'd be worried that this creates an opportunity for people to say, huh, that was the first clue. When he started to lose personal support, that meant that Ontario was starting to check out. So you better not give them more. But it reasons needs to be followed up by a pretty significant hammer. So like I unless feel, unless I feel unless Ford
0: is, coming is going to announce that he's yeah. giving the green belt to the Degasperis family, I don't know that they've got an equivalent of sponsorship in their bag. Well, but
2: I do think like the issue I wa- there. I want Ford to say, is- "Pepper, I put
3: it on my plate." <laughs> <laughs> if he could do that, <laughs> well, then if I if could, think can we might get this moving.
2: Some golf balls, maybe. Um,
3: but, small uh, town uh, from chief from their president maybe you heard <laughs> of him bill clinton
2: you <laughs> can fill his pockets with them be perfect but but i think i think that the you know the real danger for ford is that you know as we've talked about a lot before on the greenbelt scandal it's not it's not the breaking of the promise but it's the sense that there was anything done for personal gain And so that's that's the corrosive, toxic piece that I think we're seeing be digested through the numbers now. And I think Scott has a a pretty good working theory here of how that could crop up down the road in a way that could be pretty damaging for Ford. If you see things that corroborate what we already know is a weakness for him.
1: But speaking of spin, I want to go back to uh, uh, Scott's. Suggestion that doing uh, attack ads on a new uh, leader to define them is uh, is somehow actually you know a, a bad idea. <laughs> don't go there. Don't go there.
2: Straight face
1: yeah. and
2: everything. Uh, <laughs> okay,
3: I just I think <laughs> what, it's a I, real I consideration. Don't, I don't, I don't, I
1: don't, how you many people Jesus actually bucket, know her? We be, convince ourselves no, everyone knows her. Yeah, do they? Yeah. I don't know. No, they don't. No, they don't. They do in the Western so, GTA and GTA generally. But the rest, you know, do you know uh, having sat through a number of focus groups, so maybe it's not uh, worth uh, advertising. Person, uh, do you know what the most popular answer when you show her a picture to people outside of the GTA is, is? And who is this person? They say, I don't know, a real estate agent? Like, that's. I mean, not. You know, she is not known. But. I think the proud um, people oh, are real and like to speak you. to
0: you. Oh, listen to but, you. Oh. But, but look. Oh uh, man, know, they're, they're,
1: I I've never seen a politician who eats a multi-million-dollar negative uh, ad campaign and comes out the other side more popular. Like it just doesn't fucking happen. So you know whatever, right? I know, but uh, is
3: it is not even theoretically a po- a, the, possible that by doing that that you'll break up the split of the vote? Though you would isolate yeah. on her. No, I like. I think. Yeah, but they, they think, don't mind that. I, th-
0: they don't mind I th- wait. I'm I gonna th- say they don't mind that. They don't mind that. And Corey, I'm speaking on your behalf, right? Because they want the NDP to win the Progressive Primary. They want them to, because probably the NDP, if they break from the Liberal pack, right, peak out at about thirty six percent. But if the Liberals break out from the NDP pack, they can peak out at 42 percent.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the exactly, difference. That is that is exactly correct. That is exactly yeah. correct. I'm
3: just saying the one impact may be that you tell people Bonnie Crombie exists and she's a leader of the party. It might
0: give yeah. her a boost, yeah,
1: uh, along with some other information.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I I I think that the biggest challenge the liberals have, to be honest, in my view, is money. They don't have any. Apparently, they're debt free, and that's amazing. Um, but they don't have any money and they're going to need you know 10 12 million dollars minimum to run the next provincial campaign. Um, and plus whatever they want to do between now and then, and that is damn hard to well, raise that. If of the money.
2: organizing chops behind this leadership race is what's driving their fundraising, then I don't think that Marit Styles needs to worry too much because well, let's just
0: talk about but, the turnout for a second because you want to yeah. talk about the turnout and you think it means something, and I think I it means, I think it means, um. That they kind of did a dumb thing. I mean, I don't know. I was like, why. I'm mostly
2: confused as to how it actually happened. When you're structuring your race from scratch, like what would you engineer for this?
0: Well, no, but they didn't have they didn't have online voting. They didn't have mail in voting. They uh-huh. had one polling station per riding for part of one
1: day. Yeah, but, that, so, that, 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 that what, but that's that's what turnout. I mean. Like, why you, would, that kind of turnout speech?
0: are you going to get? Okay. Yeah. But that it's, speaks yeah. to turnout. Weird,
1: it doesn't right? speak to the total number of, uh, of, of memberships. Well, but you sold. have to combine which it, Corey, is, which with is the a, fact that there was no membership fee. number. But
3: like you combine that with, okay, but yeah, the explanation so should, is that you're just registering to become a member. So you know that there's a weak yeah, affinity from tens of thousands of those people. So then yeah, you make well, it harder for them to vote okay. rather than easier, and you end up with a shitty result. I don't think I it means fuck off. It's, it's, I
1: it, really it's don't. A di- it's a dismal number of memberships, to have sold or not sold, rather. Like, well, that's a different point, you know, point.
0: and that's that's a fair point. Whether a hundred thousand is a big number or not for uh, it's
1: it's, it's you know, for four candidates like- over. As opposed to what you should see is probably something in the 200 250,000 range, which is what you've seen in you know, two successive conservative leadership races in the province of Ontario. So, yeah, I think it is important.
0: So that's a different point than Jordan's making, though. Jordan's point is you signed up 100,000 people and 23,000 of them voted or something like that. Right? But that is, I mean, first of all, these instant members always have shitty turnout, even when you've got nomination Oh, but meeting.
2: like three quarters not turning out? That's wild. Like...
1: Well, that would have been like 8% of the people in the last conservative race voting. Right.
0: Well, it is what it is. what it is, And I think it represents a mistake on the part of the organizing committee. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, you have to make things convenient for people now or they won't do them. And that's just not politics. Yeah, totally. That's fucking everything. If it isn't convenient, people won't do it. So that's why in the States, most people vote by mail now. Uh-huh. Right? We get well, with I think this, COVID, we COVID, COVID get with really kind of reinforced
2: programs. that as well. Like we're moving in the absolute opposite direction in all other types of voting. Right, more advanced polls, <laughs> more advanced <laughs> voting days, longer advanced voting periods, and more options. And so, anyways, to me, it was just from an organizational perspective, it was a really bizarre choice. And um, well, and I was baby. curious, your thoughts.
1: Baby. Based on you know, what uh, liberal friends of mine uh, involved in those campaigns say, that, like she's probably lucky it was low voter turnout because I don't think she would have won otherwise. Like uh, she didn't sell enough memberships. That's well, it. <clears throat> that
0: that doesn't square with them projecting a first ballot victory, which I agree with you. By the way, I don't have any idea what the strategic advantage of that was. It's probably hard. to lower your turnout,
1: I would th- suspect, if anything. Um, yeah, like, I, yeah, like I, I can see how it's unhelpful, you know, in a bunch of ways. But I don't, you know, other, other than sort of preemptive bragging, I don't know what you're doing there.
3: I always tell people on TV that when they meet me in person, they'll learn I'm the tallest person they've ever seen. <laughs> and it seems to work.
0: <laughs> so I was invited to a thing last week in Ottawa the Canadian-American Business Council's annual celebration of the enduring relationship most famously described by JFK when he said, Geography has made us neighbours, history has made us friends, necessity has made us allies. It's a set-piece event, with florid speeches by our ambassadors and appearances by politicians keen on publicly embracing a concept pretty much everyone values. This year, the headliner was former Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan who actually is a pretty good speaker. He spent a lot of time explaining why his party should nominate anybody but Donald Trump. For political junkies, that's red meat, and the room was full of political junkies. But there was something else on the night's agenda and it was just plain heartwarming. The business council honors someone every year, usually a high-performing entrepreneur or company. This year though, it chose former president Jimmy Carter. It was quite a statement. In an era largely defined by nasty, vulgar, ad hominem political discourse, honouring a thoroughly decent man who shunned wealth and dedicated himself to bettering humanity felt pretty good to watch. The fact that he risked his life as a young nuclear expert in 1952 to contain a meltdown at Canada's Chalk River reactor put a rather fine point on that selflessness. Anyway, The former president's family is mourning their matriarch, Rosalind Carter, and couldn't make it to Ottawa. But there was a lovely session with former Prime Minister Joe Clark and his wife Maureen McTeer. Joe knew and worked with President Carter, and it was great to be able to listen in. Our sponsor, CN, is a proud member of the Canadian-American Business Council. CN is perhaps the quintessential cross-border business, linking Canada and the United States with a railway network that spans both countries, from Halifax to Vancouver and down to the Gulf of Mexico. CN helped make the dinner and the session on Jimmy Carter a reality. So a tip of the hat and thank you. Oh, incidentally, after exposing himself to more than a 1,000 times the safe level of radiation at Chalk River, the future president was told he would never have kids. He has four. All right, let's go to our clipping. Clipping comes to us today from David Thurton of CBC News. I'm going to just read you an excerpt of this. The federal government says Canada's proposed oil and gas emissions cap framework By the way, there's that word framework again. I don't know what the difference between frameworks and actual policies are, but nonetheless, the framework could drop any day. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo, now in Dubai for the 2023 United Nations Climate Change Conference, better known as COP28, said Friday he would be shocked if this framework wasn't presented at the end of this conference. The Canadian Climate Institute says its independent modelling shows that an emissions cap for the oil and gas sector is needed to achieve this country's climate targets. Pathways Alliance, which represents the six largest oil sands companies, has said it does not oppose a cap on sectoral emissions. The question, said the organisation, is whether the cap will be too restrictive and limit the ability of industry to grow its production. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith said Thursday her government will oppose the pending regulations. The Federal Conservative Party also opposes an Ottawa-imposed oil and gas emissions cap. Federal Energy Minister Jonathan Wilkinson is working alongside Gilbo to develop the oil and gas cap framework and the regulations. Last month, he said any cap Ottawa proposes would be informed by logic and would allow Canada to compete with other oil-producing countries. Corey, what's at issue here and
1: how will this debate move forward? Well, I think there's a lot from an economic perspective at issue for Canada. And, you know, we've talked about a number of times, actually, I'll I'll encourage people to go back into the archives and listen to your conversation on the hurly-burly with Brad Wall, because I think he put it better than than I'll be able to this morning. Um, That, you know, what is a global good? For uh, uh, emission reductions, uh, for CO2 emission reductions, in my view, is more Canadian natural gas being exported to places like China and and, and Europe and other places so we can lower the lo- uh, like global emissions profile and do that in a way that, that grows our industry. We become more prosperous and lowers global emissions because we're using cleaner uh, fuels on a global basis. That is what I think the right... Uh, approach both environmentally and economically for Canada is but you know what what that doesn't allow you to do is to go to you know COP whatever uh, and uh, and talk about how your your national emissions are down you know Canada's emissions we're such a small country can go up in terms of production of energy and global carbon emissions can go down and there is a I think a perfectly logical uh, argument that you can make around that. And I think that's the one that you're going to hear Polyev increasingly make. I think that's what, uh, if you listen to, to Smith, what she's talking about. And, uh, and, and frankly, uh, I think in the not too distant future, it's what you're going to see happening in the country. So, you know, uh, looking forward to that. Well, wait, I mean, if you're the
0: federal liberals at this point, where they're at, Jordan, why wouldn't you want to fight with Alberta about this?
2: Well, I yeah, I don't I don't know that it's necessarily bad for them to have a fight with Alberta. They're having a fight on the electricity rags. This is, you know, sort of falls in a similar basket. And look, I would say that it's been clear, you know, for a very long time that if Canada has any hope of even coming within striking distance of our targets, that caps on, on oil and gas emissions need to be a part of that. But I get worried when the government puts out Wilkinson and Gilbo as the communicators on this because it, I think it sends exactly some of the wrong messages that were sent around just transition, and it sends it uh, around this. The reality is this. A lot of other sectors in Canada, including the electricity cent- sector, the transportation sector, are facing emissions caps. Uh, it is absolutely fair and equitable that oil and gas would be subject to the same type of limits. The government is you know, looking to co-create this to some degree with industry. Uh, and, and while I think that that drives environmentalists crazy, it makes some sense on a political level. And you can see that in the reactions from the big six in the oil patch. But you have to frame this about competitiveness, about our ability to have our, our industries playing on a level playing field globally as, uh, as other countries are bringing forward this type of legislation. And it can't just be about making an announcement for Gilbo in Dubai. That, like, which, you know, by the way, the optics, we can speak more generally be about the optics of COP in Dubai and just how completely screwed up all of that is. Um, but I think I get really worried when the, this is who they're putting Isn't in the The window. guy
0: hosting the conference didn't give an interview saying there's no science that fossil yes. fuels cause yes. climate change. Yes. Okay. So yeah. that's good. So, a good
2: start. So so like I think if I were if I had a wish for them on this as somebody who believes And Nigeria that these, has
0: fifteen hundred people at the conference. <laughs> sure, sure.
2: <laughs> you know, as someone who believes that we need these regulations, like for the love of God, put some put some more robust communication around it. Don't do the don't do the same thing that, that hasn't worked in the past, uh, very recently, <laughs> and put it on repeat. Because like if you know what that fight the, looks like.
0: But in fairness to the government, doesn't this have to be viewed in concert with their support for carbon capture and storage? I mean, the the government is attempting. Yeah, by who? To, to, like. Well, because there's an argument. the The argument is that the emissions cap means a production reduction, right? Or a cap on production, or even no, reduction in not, production. and that's not necessarily part true. Of the fe- no. right? Yeah. Uh, so the feds are arguing. Listen, we're putting in we're putting in massive funding for carbon capture and storage. Scott, you got anything to say about this? I'm just rambling
3: on. I, you know, it wears the living shit out of me. To be honest, I think that Gibo. Uh, pursues this with a sense of cause that um, has pays almost zero attention to the prospect of re-election or political self-interest. I think that for all the blather about, listen, we accept the precept that we're affecting climate, yada, 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 I think, frankly, uh, the likes of Danielle Smith uh, will only accept a cap that is ineffective. And all that, and everything else is just long paragraphs trying to say that. And, and I, I think I go to your core question, David, which is, does the federal government want to have this fight should it want to have this fight? I I'm not sure it wants to have this fight right now. I but just if you I wander up and down the street of Toronto. If you wander huh? up and down the streets
0: of Toronto and ask people whether there should be a cap on greenhouse gas emissions
3: from the oil sands, people will say yes, yeah, yeah. But I I worry that that's not how this thing plays out. I don't think that I think it be quickly becomes an uh, a, a debate about the economy. I think that when we have polls that say. We have fucking polls that say right now that Justin Trudeau's government isn't necessarily more trusted to manage the issue of uh, child care affordability. How in the hell do you expect you're going to win an argument about the economic consequences of these kinds of policies? So I just I I were like you must do these things. I'm not suggesting you don't. I'm not being a Neanderthal, but I'm just saying I, 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 I don't. I don't think these are things that you should do zealously, thinking that there's massive opportunity. I think this is stuff the government has to get through and get past. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an advantage, a political advantage, a political opportunity. Uh, the whole thing, um, I think, wears people out, and uh, and I think the government's in such a weak stand, uh, position right now that this stuff just har- that people just hear bad for the economy. And, uh, and that scary well, that But surely the
0: natural, the logical uh, end of that is that they should just lay down and die.
3: Well, uh, that's certainly what uh, I <laughs> am doing. That's my
0: strategy. Scott is really I, bringing your
2: energy to that. Corey I, to, Corey,
3: I
0: want to point you in this direction. Okay. The NDP support this cap on emissions, and they want it to be strong. That tells me volumes about what their electoral strategy is. Edmonton, Saskatoon, go fuck yourselves, right?
1: We're going to try to win Toronto. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I think so. Although you'll find people in Edmonton too who are are probably pretty sympathetic for that. Um, but uh, look, I I, I I want to throw throw some uh, credit to uh, Daniel Smith. Um, I I actually think like looking at the coverage over the last week. I actually think she won the spin battle uh, on the use of the Sovereignty Act, which, you know, I'm not a fan of. I think it's unconstitutional. I think it's not conservative. Uh, but uh, I do agree with her on, on pushing back against uh, the timeline and the cap on the, on the uh, electricity sector in Alberta. And I think she made that case quite compellingly. You know, I uh, was listening uh, to the House and, uh, uh, and, and the interview with uh, Boisnoe, like, it was terrible. Like, it was just fucking terrible. You know, he's talking about uh, transgender issues in response to a question on, you know, whether or not you can uh, actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, change over the electricity system to be something other than um, than natural gas, right? Mm. I, I thought I thought it was terrible. I thought they, you know, I thought the federal liberals lost the spin battle on that, and I thought Daniel Smith won, and I thought she made a very good case.
2: I, You know, it's funny because I... Oh, sorry.
3: Go ahead, Scott. Uh, just a teeny question: How come Kipo phrases it that he would be shocked if the cap isn't announced by the end of COP? Like, it's. <laughs> uh, uh, am I being? I'm. I'm not just. I'm not entirely joking. Like, am I being? Uh, am I overanalyzing it? Like he sort of says it like he's. I don't know for sure, lobby- but I. Think some know. person. Here. I'm here. I'm in charge of this policy. Know. But, you I, well, I know, I imagine it, it would be ridiculous if was it wasn't, right? Like, it felt like a kind of a plaintive appeal to the center yeah. from Dubai. I what, guess it's just a phrase. I'd but, be like, shocked. Like, now, sure I don't fun. know
0: what the Atlantic caucus is up to right now, he says. Yes, no, but but it, at the it, moment, I think we're going to announce this thing. But,
1: but this is a guy who allegedly <laughs> threatens to quit caucus like every other Tuesday. Uh, if he doesn't get his way, like I, I got a was, zinger of an email was, from, from somebody in a position it. of power in the government. He <laughs> well, said, "You guys but, stop
3: saying all that shit. That's yeah. not true." And well, okay. I, I have to assume I, that. I, that's I have my.
1: I have. I have my true. own sources who say it is true. So I don't know, but it's not like they're going to come out, Scott, and say, "Oh yeah, that's true." But like he, like he's basically threatened publicly to quit if they do any more watering down of a carbon tax. So I don't think it's a fucking stretch. Uh, to say that he's doing that behind the scenes, too. He's doing it publicly. That sounds like public lobbying to me of his own cabinet colleagues.
2: Yeah, I do think it was plaintive, and I still think it's a mistake to introduce these regulations uh, with a bow on them for him to announce at COP. I think that's just absolutely the wrong way to present this. But I want to go back to what Corey said. By the way, I mean
0: just to pick up on what you're saying right there, I actually think it's shitty. I actually think if you're announcing something of this importance to Canada and the Canadian economy, you should fucking announce it in Canada to Canadians, not announce it in uh, Saudi Arabia to the world, uh, but announce it in Canada to Canadians.
2: Yeah. The optics are brutal, just brutal. But I think to go back to what Corey was saying about Danielle Smith and the the sovereignty Act, because I listened to the same interview and I had a bit the opposite take, which was, that in, the, in her response on the electricity regulations, we're actually seeing the limits of the Sovereignty Act when you actually bring it into contact with reality. And, you know, the fact that she's having to talk about nationalizing portions of the electricity sector in order to make the whole jigsaw puzzle fit. Like, I think, you know, she's like really... Uh, this was better in concept than in execution was my takeaway, and I did not find her delivery around that convincing. I mean, maybe and maybe voters in Alberta will feel differently, but I'm not sure that the that, that recent polls suggest that that's entirely the case. I and mean, when you couple it with what's going on on the pension front, I don't think it's been a win for her. I don't know. So, she's still oh she's God. one of the
0: more popular premiers in the country.
2: But I'm not uh, sure Solidity that the way Act she's using it on this issue, like old. as a literal thing that is that is actually going to be used, I'm not sure that's its its highest purpose.
0: Yeah, maybe not. I've but I'm the, even Act- the CPP thing hasn't hurt her that much. Well, I, I view no, it. no, no one's fought. No one's fought.
3: No one's fought on a, the fucking CPP. A, why do I, it drives me bananas. <clears throat> that's a fight that makes sense. You don't have to get bogged down in carbon capture and you know two percent centigrade worldwide and all stuff. Like, how about a fight about hey Jesus Christ, don't fuck with your pension? And uh, and no one's no no one's yeah. acting. Everyone's just acting like it didn't it didn't happen that it's not uh, it's not in play. That's the sovereignty act fight to have. I'll stop talking now. I'm sorry. I like centigrad. sovereignty
1: act. The the so the Sovereignty Act is a rhetorical tool. It is a communications tool. Uh, I I think it's gonna be tossed out when it, in within fifteen seconds of seeing a courtroom. Like it it's it's not a legal it's not a legal tool. Right. It's a rhetorical tool. But right. I think she made a compelling case around uh, uh you know, around this issue and you know, we'll see. We'll see. All
0: right. <clears throat> well, let's move on to our last topic, as much as I don't really want to. Um federal politics. There's so much here. I don't really know. We'll just ramble on about it, okay? Uh, The polls get better and better for the conservatives. Polyev (laughs) should hope for more bad weeks like he had last week. Um, uh, Liberals are in a place where they can't fix this anymore on their own. They need events, good events for them, bad events for Polyev. It's out of their control. Scott... You know, you remember all the times I've said the Liberals cannot hang around in the low 30s, high 20s, where things go bad. And it has happened. Um, Unless you think that ears will suddenly open to Justin's rhetoric uh, once the writ drops, it becomes increasingly difficult to argue that he's the least risky choice that him staying on is the least risky choice as these numbers continue to deteriorate. Other developments. A few weeks ago, the government passed legislation banning replacement workers in federally regulated industries. I'm really interested in how this is going to play out in the fight for unionized workers, that fight primarily occurring between the NDP and the conservatives, of course. Seamus or Reagan trying to get the liberals in there with this legislation, but I'm not optimistic. Um, and Paul Yev put out a 15-minute video explaining his view about how housing got so bad in this country and what to do about it. And apparently lots of people are watching it. It's a pretty interesting approach. Scott, that's a big melange of things. What do you make of what's going on federally right now?
3: Well, it's all really bad. Uh, And there's no conclusion other than the one that you already hinted at, which is, Uh, The Liberals need an external event. Uh, They need an asteroid to strike uh, for ash to be tossed into the atmosphere, the sun to be blotted out and uh, hope that uh, conservatives hate the cold. Um, They are in a really, really, really bad spot. So uh, I'm not going to talk about that because it's almost, I just don't even know what to say. I don't think there's anything smart to say. I don't think there's any smart acre uh, suggestions to make. I do think it's a question of external events that have to reset it. I've already said before that I think that there is a the possibility of one in November of 2024. Um, but, you know, none of that means that the Liberals don't have to do better. And, you know, I think there's lots of examples of them not being even nearly as good as they could be. Uh, but I want to focus on the video. Uh, because I I'm intrigued as a political comms loser, um, I'm very intrigued by um, by uh, Pauliav's 15 minute long video on housing, and at first I was I was kind of obsessed with the craft of it, and and I suspect a lot of people are wondering this and looking at it and saying, now does this are we watching something happen here? Are we watching a shifting gear? Are we watching an innovation that is instructive for those of us that practice politics and pay attention to political communication in a world where it's hard to punch through? The 15-minute online document? And I've come to the conclusion that it's not. That there's less to this than meets the eye. I think it's a Jordan Peterson-ism of politics. I think... And I think, and that doesn't mean that it's not effective and it doesn't mean that it isn't punching through because it's so unique and unlike other forms of political communication that it has a tendency to get captured, but the, the comparison with Peterson, I think, you know, we've heard Paulyev talk about Peterson, how he admires Peterson, but we've seen hints of this before, you know, his give them wings and they shall fly speech, his, uh, you know, his measuring board, lengths of board and that kind of stuff. He's been experimenting with this stuff. I think there is a, he doesn't just want to win the election. He doesn't just want to win votes. I think there's something sort of self-indulgent and interesting happening here, Um I think he wants to persuade people um, that he has a unified field theory and uh, kind of like Jordan Peterson asked, I want to be able to tell a story about how it all niched together. And I'm the smartest guy in the room. I think he wants to be professor fucking knows it all. And I think this video is like an expression of that. And I think it's I think it's kind of fascinating. Um, I think it's a guy who grew up believing that he would go to grade seven, you know, uh, practicing and uh, preaching Thatcherism that he wants his own sort of thing, and you get a fifteen minute video because he's like, "I want to break it down, explain it to you, convince you." Forget all the stuff about what's not true and all that kind of shit, and people going to attack it. But I think that's what's going on here. I think it's less about an innovation in political craft and more about polyev personally, and and I think that's interesting. I don't know if there's a secret or two, a tell or two in there, a vulnerability that you might be able to get into. But I think that's what's going on. I find that fascinating. The last thing I'll say is that the official response, as near as I could tell from the Liberal Party to this thing, which got traction, was Christian Freeland busting into his feed and replying, here's our response. And it was a link to the fall economic statement. That is like showing up on a tricycle to a Formula One race. is just the most (laughs) fucking pathetic, ridiculous. Like, it's angering. It is. It's literally angry. You're the deputy prime minister of the country and the finance minister of Canada. Do not do that. That is feeble. That is weak. That is the equivalent of just laying down on the railroad tracks and saying, see you later. I'm going to meet my fate. That is no good. Don't do that. Unprofessional. Lame. All right,
0: Jordan, I have a slightly different take on the video, but I'm going to hold it because I'm interested to hear yours and Corey's. So what do you think about, well, the whole gamut of things that I laid out there, but the video as well?
2: Yeah, there's a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, I think on the video, like Scott, I was struck by the question of whether this was a new format or where this sits in some of the things we've seen from PolyEv in the past, some of the stuff that has been a lot more direct about responding to affordability concerns and speaking to people's lived experience versus some of the more what I've talked about I think is is a bit self-indulgent stuff like his walk and talks and you know his his pieces that look like they came from reddit and and so I also took a couple watches to categorize it and I think that scott's right when he talks about the idea that this is about presenting uh, a story about what's happened in Canada that's not just a political story, right? It's also an economic story. It's a story about who's left behind by the status quo. Um, and while I think he's borrowing from some of the uh, the formats of the manosphere, if you will, we can maybe call it that, <laughs> the Jordan Peterson universe of the long YouTube lecture, um, I think that what he's got in it is actually is much more interesting interesting. And so he's presenting not just a political narrative about Trudeau, but a real anti-elite, anti-establishment economic narrative that would be very at home for for a lot of left-wing parties. So that caught my interest. And, and I think that that is probably one of the more powerful pieces in it. Now, the question that I would have, because it has racked up a lot of views, though, is who's viewing that and who's sharing that? And are those people that are already within within that universe consuming that type of content? Or is this reaching out to new voters? I'm less persuaded that it's, it's outreach to new folks. I think there's a lot of echo happening within his existing online universe. But I found... That the narrative that knit it together was interesting and, and more cohesive than we've seen in some of these other things. And, Corey, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We guys, we can talk about the other things in another round.
1: <laughs> Corey, did you get a chance um, to watch it? Yeah, I, and I, I, th- I think it speaks to uh, what he's really good at, which is creating a narrative. Um I, I think it's persuasion. Like I think there's some truth to what Scott's saying in terms of what he's trying to do, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give him a, a you know more charitable view as to the why. Uh, I, I think he wants to con- you know change people's minds on issues, and, and it's not just this issue. You know, I think there was you know if I were to say you know similar videos or you know uh, watch and learn sort of things that he's done like around the homelessness issue when he did the video in uh, Vancouver. Like he's telling a story that is that is a good form of persuasion. Uh, he's creating a narrative. You know what is missing in the liberal government right now is the ability to to tell stories and create narratives. Like I, I couldn't tell you what their plan is on the economy because they can't tell you what the plan is. Like they don't have a story. He is creating a narrative. I think that's persuasive. Do I think there is a political benefit of him in doing that? Yes, absolutely. But, and where do I think it comes from? I think he wants to, to convince people uh, that there's a different path and, and he wants to explain it to them. He wants to have a deeper level of consent if he does become prime minister to make some you know, serious changes. Like That's what I think it is. And I think it works. I think it works for him because I think it's actually genuine to who he is and how he approaches things. You're always I think thinking it's better. Fact you. Well, than look, you guys. I mean, here's a
0: guy that the criticism of him, the opposition says he doesn't have any idea. He doesn't have any ideas. All he does is criticize. He doesn't understand how anything works. He's just bumper sticker slogans, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, first of all, that misreads what he is. Like I, I, I've thought for a couple of years now that, especially among young people, on things like housing, he's a bit of an authority figure. Like I mean, he uh, he he speaks with a, uh, no, a authority. Talks. Figures it's the wrong turn. A, He speaks uh, with authority because he's been talking about it for a while, and he sounds like he's understood it. And this thing to me seems like an inoculation against that. I'm just a bumper sticker guy. Like I understand this issue and how it came together. Now you can pick apart every fact in there if you want to, and go ahead. But it's a story that's out there. And as as Corey said, it's an integrated narrative about how we got here which, as you know, in political communications is a big chunk of the issue. Where are we and how did we get here? Can you speak honestly about those things? And if you can't, I'm not really interested in what you say about the future, but he is sounding like he's speaking honestly about those things. I thought it was a tremendous piece of political communications, and I watched the whole thing without having to be forced
3: to. Like, I was interested in it. Um, I think it's Yeah, good. me too. Sorry, oh, quite, I, I, no. I I probably left too pejorative it's- an assessment. Like, I think it's an impressive... I mean that's that's why I started looking at it just going okay well let's just take my partisan uh, reaction out of it like w- what does this tell us about the craft here and where is it headed um I guess my my difference David is that um I don't think it's just an, an a strategic attempt to inoculate I don't think it's as narrow as that I think it's part of a broader piece I think he really does I think it's, he wants to write his 12 rules for Pierre Polyev political life and I think there is a um, I, I, I think there's a desire to demonstrate to people, which is saying in part what you're saying that he's got an intellectual unified field theory and that he's coming at it from that. And I, um, that was I the think whole purpose is. of the red book. Uh, th- true there is this but there's this, seriously because people part thought of, if you
0: cast yourself back people thought Gretchen was yesterday's man they didn't think he had ideas for the future they didn't think he understood was an the modern economy so you put out a big thick thing that nobody's going to read
3: or in large measure but
0: it establishes that you have that sort I think of it's background. different
3: that was an inoculation I think this is part and parcel of strongman populist politics because if you're a strongman and a populist you must demonstrate to people that you do speak authoritatively and you can speak authoritatively and at length and in detail with respect to a topic and it may be that your entire logic chain is filled with false rungs on that ladder but I missed my metaphors badly there but you know that's that's what he's doing. Think, and that's like, why I say is, it's a Peterson esque It's a uh, refinement
2: also, which I think is what's notable because we've seen some of these videos in the lap in, in, in the previous month. Like some of them have been very good for them. Some of them have been very, very bad, very deep into the rabbit hole, very, you know, I think not helpful to his cause. But what I saw in this one was definitely a refinement in how they're presenting that story. And that in itself is an interesting evolution. They're doing this in-house. And so this is, this is clearly really, really core to not just his own desire, because I agree with Scott that it's clear he enjoys it. He enjoys this format. It feels very natural to him. And, and I think that what's, what we may be beginning to see is, is that like unifying of his own kind of personal enjoyment of the format with some act, like some strategic goals and some discipline within the message that the, the, the party wants to put forward. And whereas that hasn't always been the case in the past.
1: Well, Maybe I, an insecurity there, though. You're, you're, that's a vulnerability. But, yeah. but, but, you, you know, I, I, think there's a lot of sucking and blowing in terms of the uh, attacks made on him and what he's about and where he's coming from. I think he's more Reagan and Thatcher than he is Trump. Like, I don't, I don't think Paulie is is a populist uh, in the in the way uh, we think of somebody like Trump. Like, I, I just don't think that's who he is. I think he's more of a Reagan or a Thatcher who wants to give a lecture. About you know, yeah, uh, you know, why you should do more things Thatcher than Reagan he wants to be more po- Yeah, well, but but but, but you well, know, only in the Reg, sense, Corey. Not I'm not trying to be an subject, asshole. I'm just saying that in Reagan, in my recollection, like, Reagan peddled like, more in hope. Uh, yeah. Unless you were talking about the cold uh, Cold War related issues, like he, I think, his you know his speeches around uh, communism and and the evils of that system. Uh, are very cerebral and and very much about trying to tell a story and persuade people around how you should structure the world and what works and what doesn't. Like so on on those issues, I think you know Reagan Reagan was that on economic issues. I think Thatcher was more more of that. Uh, but I think like the commonality there is you know he's giving something that's more akin to a, a TED talk than a political ad. Yeah. Right. and people are more likely just, to watch it.
3: But a leader who's unsatisfied to just secure your vote, but they also I, on some he core level, to change people's
0: minds? to change people's minds? No, I'm. Mean, but it's and not.
3: It just, there's a
1: little bit of a neediness that? there. All it's right. I I think, don't all just right. Okay.
3: All right. All right. I think
0: we've heard enough about this. I want to hear from Jordan. A hot
3: though. link has diffused it, though, obviously, <laughs> right? I think we can all agree that the hot link to the Fez absolutely crippled the, the message. And it's <laughs> somebody <laughs> told me that Somebody told me that tweet was taken down. That Christy yeah, Freeland tweet it. was taken down. Well, I should fucking think so.
0: Yeah. Jordan, right? Yeah. Paulie has been out hunting working voters, hunting unionized voters uh, in the private sector, presumably with some success, if one would look at the polls and listen to the way the NDP talk about it. So Seamus O'Regan brings in this anti-replacement worker legislation. I would say in fairness to him, he was pretty generous with uh, Bola Um, and the NDP about the role they played in bringing that legislation forward. But nonetheless, he obviously wants to claim credit for it as well. Um, And Paulyev hasn't decided how he's going to vote on it yet, and I'm not sure how much it matters. I'd like to hear from you how much it matters. How much of a sword this is against Paulyev in the union workforce?
2: Well, I I think it's certainly a better one uh, than any that have been kicking around recently. Um, so, you know, we're not going to compare it to the perfect. We're going to compare it to what's out there. Um, Pali has been really disciplined over the last year when it came to any sort of labor disruption to not wade in guns a-blazing. Um, and I know that that has been a subject of controversy within the Conservative caucus. But I think it's it's been really good for them in terms of their ability to speak to private sector unionized workers. And so this legislation... There, there needs to be a point of differentiation, a fresh one. Um, and yes, I, I think, <laughs> I think the minister was was generous to Boulouis and the NDP in the announcement. But like, let's also be clear that like the Liberals very recently voted against this exact same anti-scab legislation. So this would not be happening if it weren't for the confidence and supply agreement. And I think, uh, you know would be uh, laughable to suggest otherwise. So this was very much driven by the NDP. They're the ones who put it on the agenda and they're going to be the ones I think who will most cleanly get to claim credit for it. But it is a pickle for Polia because I think if, if the conservatives were to oppose this legislation, it's a very clear choice on their part in favor of unbalanced labor negotiations on the employer side against unionized workers
0: and um, you think a construction a unionized construction worker cares about this?
2: I think they want to know whose side their government is on. And I think that if the NDP were to be able to make use of such a vote, if it happens... That is the that is exactly the argument that they need to be making, is that when push comes to shove, this guy is not on your side. He is on the side of the employers and he's going to use legislation. He's going to use laws to tip the scales in their favor. And here's the recent proof. And so so up until now, the conservatives and Paglia particularly has really resisted giving giving much fodder to that argument. But a vote against anti scab could really animate it. So I really hope that they do. I hope they vote against it. I think that would be great. Um, but we're going to have to see how that discussion unfolds internally because there's going to be very strong pressures for them from the business community to oppose it, and we'll have to see which way they go.
0: So, Corey, starting with 2018, you've been at will. the vanguard of the of the working people offensive on behalf of the Conservative Party. How do yeah. you feel about this? Uh,
1: I think it's a network. you um uh, uh, you you support the legislation. And uh I I think it does matter to private sector unions. And I think it's actually creating great opportunity for the conservatives. They support it, and that wedge issue goes away and the problems that the NDP have with these voters become more severe and more uh uh you know. So I, I think it's I think it's a gift to Polyev myself i know i don't think it's a hard decision like look at the end of the day there are very few federally regulated workers that are affected by this and where where are they There, are you know uh airports ports uh the railways banking. you know uh banking not that that's a heavily unionized uh sector but there are there are those areas and uh, if somebody's going to shut down the ports You know, it's going to be put, uh, you know, that labor dispute is going to probably be put into some form of binding arbitration. And those workers will likely be legislated back anyway, because that's what we've seen over the last 50 years uh, is some version of that. So like I, you know, you know, where, where are the quote scabs going to come from, uh, to fill those jobs? There, there aren't people out there to do it. Like what, you're going to bring in a, you know, a bunch of new people to, to drive the trains. Like, I, I I just don't think, (laughs) I don't, I don't think it's fucking real. So, you know, uh, I don't, I don't see why I don't see why you wouldn't support, uh, the legislation if, if you're Polly like, I see a big win in supporting it. I don't see, you know, I don't see it as consequential, you know, in terms of of an actual issue, one way or the other, but you know, politically, I think it's consequential, and I think there's an obvious choice for the conservatives. And I, you know, I, and you know, thanks for the opportunity. Is I think what he should be saying.
0: Okay, I want to have one last quick round. Then, Corey, I'm going to stick with you to start. If you were retained by. Justin Trudeau as an independent consultant in the way that, say, somebody might hire David Axelrod to come up and take a fresh look at things and give him an idea. If you were hired in that role by Justin Trudeau, Greg Lyle, the polls just keep banging on, like there's a new one from Lyle, Greg Lyle today that goes into great detail about where the votes have been lost in the last six months, and it's older voters, which was the last bastion of the Liberals, and it's particularly older women. So the kind of people that turn out, the kind of people um, that have been the bedrock of their support through the last number of elections starting in 2015. Uh, So that's gone now. So if you were to come in and talk to them, honest to Christ, what would you say?
1: Well, I'll use the uh, build on the analogy Scott was using earlier about, you know, you need an asteroid. Uh, But I think you need the asteroid to hit Langevin block uh, during business hours or maybe read a, co- a cottage <laughs> later in the evening. Uh, you know, not that I want to see anybody get hurt, uh, but you know, like I, I think you need to have a leadership change. Like I, I think that, you know, what I see when I look at those polling numbers is that people have shut their ears. Uh, like, I don't think even if you came in with a new strategy and a new message and a narrative and all of those things that it's going to work because at a certain point, people just shut your shut their ears to what you're saying you know i don't they, want to be so scarred as i am by you.
0: 27 2018 but that's how it feels right now that's how it feels
1: yeah right but now. like that's but but you know if you want to use another example it's it's 2015 for the conservatives where uh, you know we're no, you know the people who aren't already with you They just don't want to hear anything else out of your mouth. Like they're just done with you. They've heard enough over the last eight years from Justin Trudeau, and I don't think they want to hear anymore. Even the stuff that the
0: polls say should work doesn't work because you're the one saying it. It isn't
1: working. It isn't like it isn't working because you're the one saying it. So, like, you know, I know that this is, you know, maybe not. Not a very nice answer to the question, but, you know, uh, I think people have just tuned them out and, uh, and, you know, there isn't like, you know, spin this little dial over here or, you know, pull this little lever over there. That's going to fix it, you know, because the, the problem is so personalized around Trudeau at this point that, uh, until you address that, no one's listening to another fucking word coming out of your mouth. Jordan.
2: Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think the advice would have to be leave and do it now. And and that is uh, that's hard because I think as we've all discussed before, the alternatives are not necessarily a guarantee. Uh, internally, the liberals have made any the balance succession. of risk is shifted. That's, that's right. The Jordan. balance of risk is huge, but the longer this continues, also the more untenable it becomes. And look, like I have to say, you know, a lot of new Democrats are watching the national numbers. With great interest in the last few weeks, you're seeing the Liberals and the NDP tied outside of Quebec in the country, and this is really, really dangerous territory for the Liberals, because in that progressive primary, the the only real offer that the Liberals have is power, right? That is that is the unifying uh, field theory of, of of the Liberals winning the left in Canada, and when that is no longer on offer, and now we've seen we've seen the Liberals. Bleed their support on the right flank to the conservatives. Now we are beginning to see the bleed to the left as the, they're losing that prospect of voting, and you could really begin to see those voters leaving in droves the way they did in 2011 or in Ontario in 2018. It has that feeling to it, and so I think the Liberals have a they have an internal decision to to make strategically about where are they going to go. What is like are they going to try to get back those those center and center right voters, or are they going to try to get back those center and center left voters? And then they they could select a new leader and make a decision around that but it's really difficult to imagine such a conversation or such a turn with the current leadership and and with the just the fact that Canadians are tuning out anything that has to do with this guys like you know the numbers on childcare, the numbers on climate like that should be ringing absolute red alarm bells everywhere there is nothing that the liberals are getting credit for anymore and it's because of Trudeau
0: well, and also people are are, are okay, actually everywhere. starting to factor in their vote, right? And so they're they're yeah. solving the cognitive dissonance in their minds. So if you've decided you're going to vote for Polyev and you care about childcare, you're moderating your view on whether or not he'd be good at child care or not, just because you've got to resolve that cognitive dissonance. And so what that means is that people are settling into their vote.
2: Well, and it becomes this is also with with the bleed on the left, this becomes a downward spiral, right? That picks up speed as it goes.
0: It's why I have always believed the liberals couldn't hang around in the 20s for any length of time whatsoever without facing this situation.
3: Scott? Well, uh, first of all, I concur. Uh, I am Eeyore at the best of times, so I concur with everybody's bleak assessment. I think before, if I was hired, presumably for an enormous sum of money to tell Justin Trudeau, here's a couple of ideas to resuscitate things, before I concluded that I don't want the money and that my only piece of advice is for him to go away, um, I I'd maybe look at you know a couple of options. I, I fear that people don't want to hear from them. I fear that people don't aren't listening. Um, but I guess I would start looking at those votes that you've lost most recently as those votes that you might be able to cra- reclaim most easily. And so I would be looking hard at those policies. I also think there are some issues that you get permission to talk about in a way that others don't, um, provided that you check yourself and don't act like you alone have a right to talk about them. And, you know, I do think that there's a swirl in our politics right now the Sovereignty Act, what's been happening in Quebec. Uh, by the way, Legault is no longer absolutely invulnerable. Uh, and, and uh, they have flipped overnight to unbelievably vulnerable it's an astonishing thing and i don't know what it means but it means something man okay like it's going to have a big implication federally quebec's Um, all
0: weird we should talk about quebec at some point because the conservatives have numbers in quebec now too by the way which is
3: fucked up and bad well absolutely when you know when stuff starts to move it moves Mm -hmm. in all kinds of different places so um you know all the joker's wild um but I, I I do think like the idea of well hang on a second right we're not just you know when it comes to let's let's set aside the precise issue set right of you know electricity regulation or the cap like but the, we're not we can't permit the idea to triumph that we're just uh, an economic union of twelve independent republic states okay we're not that's not canada and i think trying to trying to capture some uh some admire admiring uh you know uh attention around that and sort of go, well, hang on, there's an idea here of Canada that seems to be getting a little bit sort of washed out in the transactional laundry. Um, and I think that CPP, and when I correlate it to older women, I, it strikes me that there's a lot of Venn diagram going on there. I just think that that's an entry point that the government ought to be talking about. And the prime minister himself personally, maybe can summon the ability to say, well, this is a place where, you know what, I, I, I just think we have to actually talk about this. And um, it sounds like I'm. There's the risk of trying to turn Trudeau the younger into Trudeau the uh, elder. But I just think there might be something there. What will I? Th- what do I think happens? It'll probably Pretty tough fail. To do that I, without wheeling on Legault, right? Like you got to include Legault and Quebec in that. I, I agree with that, and that's why I say the fact that he's no longer a Titan maybe gives you a license to think about that, be a little bit bolder. The risk, of course, is that none of it works for all the factors that we've discussed. But in the process of trying it. Uh, you torch yourself in, uh, in 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 Quebec, um, and uh, and there you have it. But um, I don't think there's an answer for him that's going to be easy or come without consequence or risk. And um, and so you know, I would uh, I'd look at that because I also think that that's something that needs to be said. It feels to me like the idea of Canada is getting a little bit lost in the laundry.
0: Yeah, no, that used to be part of the Liberal brand. Uh, okay. I think it's time for hey use, Mister Pinsent. Can you bring this to a merciful conclusion,
2: ladies and gentlemen? Please return to your seats. The hey Yous are about to begin.
1: All right, who's up? Vegas, go. All right. <laughs> uh, well, my 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 hey you, you know, not to be a downer, is going to be on a. A pretty serious topic. Uh, I want to do my hey you to um, the story that came out this uh, this past week about what you know sounds and looks like serial rape in the BC uh, division. And, and I think it goes deeper uh, in that organization in a way uh, that plays out, I think, very similar to what we've seen at DD and RCMP. Um, you, know, uh, you know, maybe a hey you to the women who came forward to the press to talk about these things because I, uh, you know, I think it's a very brave thing that they did, uh, and I don't think I don't think those women are alone. I think there's a lot more women there who are going to come out over time and talk about this, uh, and I think for the people in charge at CSIS uh, be fucking worried because you're going to be stand. You're going to have to stand and be counted at some point and take responsibility for your actions and your inactions around this. And you know the whole "who will watch the watchers" thing. That's a real thing. You know you're given huge latitude and huge powers that uh, even normal law enforcement don't have. And you better not be using them uh, to cover up rape and sexual assault within your own organization, which it certainly fucking appears to be what's been going on. So you know, shame on them uh i hope heads roll i hope pensions are, are taken away from people i uh i hope there's a day of reckoning uh not just for the abusers but the people who have given them safe harbor uh over the last however many years terrible terrible very Your powerful hair. thanks Corey. all right scott
0: what do you got
3: uh my hey you goes out to catherine tate there's a rumor floating around today that the cbc is going to shed uh cbc is, is she one of them uh, well, they're gonna lay off point. 700 people. Is she one of them? Because she's gonna lay off 700 people. Is. And, 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 I, and I know I was gonna say I don't mean to sound like a prick, but I guess I actually do mean exactly to sound like a prick. I am absolutely befuddled at this time there's so much change in the media sector, when there's such an attack on the institutions of media. Um, what in hell, uh, has Catherine Tate done with her time as president of? The CBC since 2018. I see. And I'm not suggesting that maybe layoffs aren't needed like that occurs sometimes in large organizations. But my God, it's been one desultory uh, tenure as president. And I just uh, I look at it and I think about the state of where the CBC is. I think it's genuinely in play right now and not just because pierre Polyev is going to win for all these other reasons but because pierre Polyev if he wins is going to keep his promise and he is going to put a spike through the heart of at least english television and um and news and um i don't think i don't think the president of the cbc has made that less likely over the last few years i think that she's made it more likely i think it's really been an abject disaster of a term and i think it's a real shame for an institution that i cherish and uh, and I fear for him. This all
0: falls on the government, Scott. When they chose Tom Clark, a private sector broadcaster, to choose who their CEO would be, and he chose Catherine Tate, and then they extended Catherine Tate, the government has effectively served the CBC up on a platter to Paulyev. Like, instead of spending their time in office creating a CBC that could be defended, they have let it slide into something that is increasingly difficult to defend.
3: I concur. Hmm.
0: Jordan.
2: Well, Wow. I'm going to lift the energy with a hey you this week, going out to Olivia Chow. So Scott's going to love this one. uh, For the incredible historic New Deal for Toronto that she struck with Doug Ford, something that Rob Ford was not able to do. John Tory was not able to do. And when people on the sidelines were bitching and moaning that all Olivia Chow was going to do is is like fucking pistols at dawn with, with the Ford government. She got it done, uploading the gardener, the DVP, tons of new cash for the TTC. Yes, by conceding the point on Ontario Place, but this was a small price to pay for investments that are actually going to make a real difference in the services that people in Toronto are going to receive. It is exactly this kind of pragmatic politics uh, that is going to stand Olivia in good stead. And so my hey you this week is going out to her and her team. Good job.
3: Great job. Great job. Great job. You <laughs> shit-canned Ontario place to the Ontario Provincial NDP, <laughs> but good job. Out those Mayor
0: Chow, Chow people just, always I, seem to I come just out, 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 out on, on Mayor Chow, Chow likes a good massage as much as the next one.
2: What's that? The, the loser wine. <laughs> <lion. laughs> Got it. It's
0: like
2: a buzzing of mosquitoes.
0: My Hey You was going to go out to Bonnie Crombie, who I like, and it's uh, known since 2004, and who I'm genuinely excited about. But something more urgent happened yesterday. Ding, 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 ding. Da-na-na-na-na-na. Da-na-na. Miles Goodwin died. The lead singer, creative force of April Wine... I have to say that Stand Back and Electric Jewels had a proud place in my record collection back in the 1970s. I listened to a lot of April wine and enjoyed it all thoroughly. And thank you, Miles Goodman, for all the years of fun. Great to see you. Thank you, everybody, who listened to the show today or watched it. Corey, thank you for coming in from Vegas. Really appreciate you doing this <laughs> on such little rest. Jordan and Scott. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you to our presenting sponsor, TELUS, and our sponsor, CN Rail. All of you accursed. We'll see you next week. Take care of yourselves.